0: This is Mouth Media Network, the business of
1: being heard.
0: Hi, this is Karen Kolberg. I'm co-CEO at King Arthur Baking Company. And what I love about retail is the sense of discovery that you can create for a customer, and in our case, a baker. We want people, whether they're visiting us in person or online, to come away from a visit inspired. From New York City, you're listening to Retail Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry.
2: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Retail Is Your Business, and I'm one of your hosts, Mark Raco We're so happy you're here, and joining me in the uh, co-host spot today, no Rebecca today, everybody, we'll miss our friend Rebecca Fitz, but if someone's got to fill her chair, who better? then Gary Hawkins uh Gary uh, and I met at a trade show uh, National Grocers Association right Gary yeah, that's in, right uh, San Diego I believe it was yeah. um and uh and had a great chance to to talk there and 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 have some discussions and got to know his son Sterling Hawkins uh who was also Gary's business partner and one of your your significant ventures uh, Gary what what do you and Sterling do
1: so our uh, company cart helps uh connect r- the retail industry to new innovation. Uh you know all the new technologies that are flooding in uh to change the way people shop, the way retailers do business, the way manufacturers go yeah. to market. Great. All right, well uh Gary uh welcome to the show. Glad to have you
2: uh co-piloting if you would. Uh and uh glad to have you here. And I'm also If if you think I'm excited that Gary is here, you should see how excited I am about our guest. Her name is Karen Kohlberg. She's the co-CEO of an iconic brand that if you've been around over the last, I don't know, 230 years, you might have heard of it. It's called King Arthur Baking Company, Uh, but it used to be called King Arthur Flour Company, And Karen is here with us now to talk about a a pretty big story, which is how a 230-year-old brand is, in a way, rebranding and how a 230-year-old brand navigates its second big pandemic. Uh, Not a lot of brands can say, yeah, this is our second pandemic. Uh, So anyway, Karen, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you here.
0: Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here.
2: So Karen can you fill us in first of all uh, for those who are not uh, who live under a rock and don't know uh, with all due respect to those who live under rocks who don't know about King Arthur Baking Company or formerly King Arthur Flour uh what is this company what are the products you produce are you DTC are you wholesale only uh and uh, and and how does the na- the new branding reflect a changing trajectory Great it's a lot in there. I'll t- so I, you're first- co-CEO. I think you, I think I, I gave you. <laughs> I knew you could handle it.
0: <laughs> so we have been around, as you alluded to, yeah, more than a couple centuries, and we had been King Arthur Flower Company, um, actually since about eighteen in eighteen late eighteen nineties, um, and have had many evolutions of the business. And I've not been around for many of them. I've been with the company for sixteen years, but for the past about thirty years is. When we have built the company that we are today, we are in several businesses. We are in the CPG space. So we're out there wholesaling to, you know, kind of across the country grocery, mass, and of course online. We are in the DTC business. So we have a really robust uh, direct to consumer business. And then up here where I am, and I'm in Norwich, Vermont, we have a destination. So we have a store, a bakery, a cafe, a school. And it's the DTC part of the business and our bakery and school, which we kind of started, like I said, 25, 30 years ago, that are core to the company's essence. Because the company's essence is about baking, and we live to inspire people to bake. And that rebranding is something that always made sense made Sense to us. We've been around a long time. We may not move so quickly but over the past 18 months, we said, you know, it's time to make this change because it's really setting up the platform for our next, whether it's 2030 or two years or two centuries, King Arthur Bacon Company really frames what we're about.
2: Now, you're, you're co-CEO, which means implies there's another co-CEO. Can you talk about not just that from a structural standpoint, uh, but why are there two C, or at least two co-CEOs and how... How are you each involved differently with, you know, setting the course of the company?
0: We get that question a lot. So the company I hope is, to be more
2: original, but, you know.
0: No, it, 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 you have to ask. When you hear co-CEO, you have to ask it because you don't hear it yeah. very often. It's not completely unusual, but you don't hear it that often. And so we are, the company's 100% employee owned. Wow. it had been in the it had been in the same family for five generations and we became employee owned in the um between 1996 and 2004 i share that um getting to the, your your question about the co but the, because the the values of the company and how the company was run was very collaborative very transparent open book management people showed up as owners and so there was always an approach of empowering people to lead their businesses and to lead their functions or just do their job well, depending on where you were in the organization. And when there was a transition of our predecessor, the prior the prior CEO, the board said, well, we're 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 private. We can do something different and we can try something um, that might not be as as common. Um they had seen the strategy team working as a group of collaborative leaders that you know were making the decisions that needed to be made to run the business. And and said, you know, why don't we try a team approach? And it actually started as three. It actually get really crazy. There was a fourth for a very short period of time. But we took this team approach. There were three of us. And we did that for uh for three or four years. And the woman who was our co, it took on, the took on a, our corporate social responsibility. So it was still with us. And the two of us, a gentleman named Ralph Carlton and myself, you know, kind of continue to lead forward um, as co's. And it takes, I think, both a certain, like, I get goes back to the values and mindset and how you, just how you show up, if you will, um, for it to work. It works in our company, as I said, because of both how we how we are structured, how we function, how we work together. And I think it's really important to to state this as well. It doesn't have to be this way for King Arthur Baking. I think it's entirely possible that when we in working with the board um, plan for succession planning, that it could go back to a single CEO. It's not. It's that, you know, the secret sauce is our values is baking. Is how we approach our work as an employee-owned company. It not not necessarily that it's co forever, but it, but it works really. It does work really well. It's a lot of fun. I have to say, it's um, I've never been. This is my first experience being in a CEO role, and having a partner with whom you can share anything, just anything, to bounce anything off of at any moment at any time is really it's great. And and um, we you, I think you also were kind of saying you know we definitely divide up functionally yeah. a little bit. I mean I have marketing and product development and, um, our kind of more of our, um, our public facing businesses. Um, Ralph has, you know, Ralph has a breadth of experience in his career. He oversees, um, he's been in strategy, he's been in marketing, he's been on a lot of different functions, but he came in as our CFO, um, and has a lot of strategy development experience Oversees admin, IT, um, HR, but we really do work. the We've built a really strong team what uh, has been something we've really focused on over the past three years, and it allows us to definitely be more to work more closely and more collaboratively over all of those, uh, you know, kind of over each of each functions, if you will, um, together. So it, it it works really well.
2: Uh, Karen, let's uh, let's jump a little bit to one of the biggest things that's been on everybody's plate, which is, of course, the pandemic. Uh, it's uh it's changed the trajectory for the positive or negative for so many businesses, but it's also presented very significant supply chain issues uh, for um, pretty much everybody. But the larger the company you are, the more that affects. And I know that a lot of companies, you know, think about like, I believe it's Post has grape nuts. And they've had trouble making grape nuts just because of the, the supply chain of, of having what they need to do it with. And so how does the challenges in supply chain that you you may not have completely anticipated, not just affect your ability to manufacture their first supply product, but how does it cascade through other areas of the company? How are you experiencing that?
0: So, when we, just kind of going back to the beginning, if you will, for a second, and not the first pandemic, because to be clear, despite my gray hair, I wasn't here for that one. Um, the the in March of this of you know of 2020, we kind of ex, it, we experienced sort of a spike of maybe sixfold increase in demand. We we're kind of gearing up for the second biggest um, baking season for us, which is Easter baking season. So we were able to kind of manage initially and I'm talking weeks, I'm not talking for very long um, and supply and get, you know, and fulfill orders. And pretty quickly we saw both with the shelter in place, um, the entire country kind of going to work from remote remote that, that it wasn't just pantry, but we also saw quickly, it wasn't just pantry loading. People were home, they were baking more and we had the sustained level of demand. And we knew we needed to really get, well, in partnership with our supply chain to get as much flour, if you will, and all of our products that we possibly could. Um, and we did, a, a, there's a few things and it takes the organization. The first thing we did, and I could just step away from supply chain for a second. The first thing we did in order to be able to respond, because like I said, the demand was, again, like nothing, we, nothing anybody really had imagined. Um we, you know, we established this working group that met daily to begin with of cross-functional leaders and kind of tapered off over time so that you were dealing with the employees first, and meaning is everybody safe and does everybody know what they need to do, how to do it, how to work remotely, do you have a chair, etc. cetera. You can just imagine just the, co- the company went from, for all the jobs, all the administrative jobs that could be from home to go home in a week's time. And because the demand was there that, that I want to talk about and how we handled it, you needed the folks who were basically, you know, kind of our operations team that is working to get the flour from the mills to the customers. You needed them home, working safely, comfortably knowing what they needed to do. And you're kind of independent. You know, all of a sudden you don't have a team that you're kind of surrounded by all day long. So that happened and we quick you know, we quickly had to ration. So the first thing you do is you say, Are we going to keep selling everything? Because you can't you can't supply everything. So some SKUs we just had to make unavailable and choose not to produce anymore so that we could focus on what I'll call our signature flowers. We went to we don't own our supply chain. So it's built on you know, it's, there's we have contractual relationships with mills around the country and deep long relationships with them. Uh, but we weren't the only p- customer out there looking for additional capacity. Uh, so we got all the capacity that we could, you, we were, you know, there were shifts being added. There were, we were kind of tapping into new lines of production. So we added two skews. We added a three pound skew and a plastic bag, which is something we'd never done before. And we also, and which is not, it's the fastest one we could get. We, but not the ideal for bakers, which are who are our customers. So then we we right behind it, were eight pound, um, bread and all-purpose flour, which are our are two top performing and most important SKUs. And so it was that focus on what are we going to prioritize and where in our supply chain can we get, can we get these products? Um, and then no, you know, again, we did okay for a month or so, maybe or so, but I'm going to say from, you know, <laughs> if you're going to call up Kroger or Walmart, they might disagree with me, but I'm going to say from, um, June, July kind of through almost October. We were, you know, on we were kind of allocating product and trying to treat everybody as kind of as fairly as we possibly could and getting as kind of as much product to to the customers we you know kind of where the demand was um, that we could. And so, you know, from a from a marketing standpoint, we ended up like, turning off, if you will, marketing. And no, no, no. I don't know that many categories were promoting at that time. But, you know, there was there was no more promotion and because um, really we were just trying to get the product on shelf and, and the, the empty shelves that we saw didn't subside uh, yeah, until probably mid to late October.
1: Karen, uh, you know, certainly understand the spike and the increase in business you saw on the retail side. I'm curious if you saw a similar spike on your DTC business and what that looked like.
0: It was very similar, actually, in the sense that, you know, the numbers that when you start talking percentages, when you're sort of five to six times, they almost become, you know, not meaningless, but hard to wrap your head around. And yes, our direct to consumer business saw that, you know, two, three, four times um, spike and sustain. I, I don't actually spike is not necessarily the right word because it sustained itself. Yeah. We kind of we took a step and then the business just went. It didn't stay at six times. Um, but even to, to to this day, as we sit here, you know, kind of chatting in February, um, our DTC business is, you know, running, you know, one and a half to two times. um you know, kind of prior year. And we had to make the similar decisions, which uh, around what are we going to make available? What are we not going to make available? Yeah. And this was and it wasn't that it was almost harder. Well, easier to make because there's some smaller volume. Our DTC business is smaller than our wholesale business. Yet at the same time, when you think about baking as our core and we're having to make choices about again small volume products, but key to what we do, they're yeah. more they're more emotional trade offs that are harder sometimes than the, just the pure financial. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. So. so so interesting to hear your perspective as a, a brand uh, manufacturer around decisions you had to make, almost were forced to make around. Assortment decisions and and you know discontinuing certain SKUs and so on. Uh, I know many retailers I've talked to of all sizes across the country over the last year uh, are going through a similar, have gone through, and continue to go through a similar process of sort of assortment rationalization across a lot of categories. Are you seeing that continue? And are you seeing that from the retailer perspective uh, in your categories?
0: Yes. So it was, you know, we were ge- we. Had, if I could step back again, we were gearing up for this rebranding as King Arthur Baking Company. You know, a, a year before the, or more before the pandemic, and we were kind of ready to launch probably February of you know kind of of 2020 with a plan to launch at Fancy Food in may of 2020 and so we had a lot of innovation prepared we were we were there were some new products we were stepping into some space as a baking sugar alternative um we'd already you know we'd had paleo flowers and specialty flowers but we had a, a kind of but two ends of the spectrum we had this baking sugar alternative and a keto flour and then we had double o pizza because people there's health and wellness and there's indulgence yeah. and both are really to us so we had this innovation prepared and really once the supply chain was completely challenged and both us all of our all of our you know kind of our wholesale partners really was just trying to keep the core products in stock again whether we're talking pasta toilet paper flour you know yeah. all the, all those staples and um, so we have seen there wasn't a, there was not an interest in innovation the way there there typically would be um we are seeing some of that starting to come back as we sit here you know kind of planning for for next year's uh, baking season if you will we're gonna there's a loop for us we're kind of kind of re Emphasize and re, re repitch some of those core products that didn't see the up, you know, kind of the the, the uptake that we'd uh, expected, would you know, kind of pre-pandemic. The physical shelf is not endless, right? And so they, I think, are still going to be in that space of how much do I want to allocate to sort of new and proven concepts versus we've all learned how to shop online, yeah, right. and, and therefore I think we're planning for and 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 expecting. For you know, a lot of our innovation to be on you know to be to be through e-commerce, whether it's again through ours or or with our partners, um, and maybe that's and that's the way where I think a lot of our innovation can be successful.
2: If you run a brick and mortar store, guess what? You have a problem. Retail storefronts can't drive immediate conversion, and you can only have so many shoppers inside safely. Any hours you're closed, you can't make sales there. And if you make a product, your product packaging is static by nature. It can't be continuously updated, which limits the consumer experience. The next time your customer might interface with you is probably when they need to buy something else sometime in the future. Even more importantly, retail storefronts and product packages both lack a human connection. Are you able to tell the same stories in your own voice to your customers like you used to in the past? Social distancing, the move to commerce, or you've just grown beyond that opportunity? You need to take a look at StoryDot. Engaging the customer throughout their journey from store to website to product packaging Storydot supports a quick, contact-free, physical to digital transition, letting you tell your story to the customer and enable them to take action and motivate them to share that story on social media. No matter where that customer is, they can hear the exact story you need them to hear. And that can convert into sales and elevate their experience and turn them into your marketers when they share on social media. And key user data is generated providing more mapping of the relationship with customers. You need to see StoryDot in action and explore how StoryDot can connect the dots between you and customers. So visit www.storydot.com. That's www.storydot.com.
1: You also mentioned that, you know, certainly early days of the pandemic, pulling back a lot of promotion, marketing, et cetera, and nearly every brand did the same. Uh, You know, when you're worried about getting product on the shelf, you're not worried about what to uh, promote next week. Uh, But are you seeing promotional activity, marketing activity come back here, you know, towards the end of this past year and and as we move into 2021? Um, And... I guess along with that, you know, I'm seeing a a significant uptick in digital marketing, digital engagement with shoppers uh, on the part of retailers. Many of them have moved away from the traditional printed weekly ad. Uh, You know, everything is digital now. I'm curious what you're seeing there.
0: We absolutely kind of are seeing exactly what you described we step back into certainly promoting for baking season, sort of the October, November, December period, and are continuing. You know, again, this is a slower time of year for us. For us, but we do gear up for that sort of Easter baking season, and I think we have opportunities to create more, you know, baking opportunities. So we are planning promotions through through the rest. I'm speaking. I was going to say the rest of this year. Our fiscal year is June 30, so I was going to say through the rest of certainly this fiscal year and and going into going into baking season 2021. We did shift and will continue to shift to digital, meaning everything from shopper marketing and using the whether it's a whether it's a national tool or whether it's the retailer's tool. We're you know finding our way to all those places because we have such a robust direct to consumer business and such deep engagement with our our customers, meaning um, or the end consumer through. Through social, through Facebook, through our site, through um, you know, kind of through Instagram, all those platforms, we have a very high level of engagement and connection and back and forth, and um, are able to you know. So the skill set is there internally. Whether again, we're working on our own channels or partnering with our with our retailers to, to say how do we how do we want to reallocate dollars? It makes sense to reallocate dollars, and I think. What's what's great is again because we have expertise, such expertise in digital marketing, we're able to bring that to our customers. Again, now I'm talking the you know the 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 grocery stores of the, if you will, or the targets and the WalMarts, et cetera, all of them, and the receptivity to the shift of spend is there because they have seen it too, right? The, I think again the 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 end the, the shopper is comfortable with you know buy online and pick up in store is comfortable maybe comfortable with instacart is you know is comfortable you know i mean all i think it was i don't know when it was you know walmart walmart is so geared towards having pick people having people drive into the parking lot and pick up their groceries and um so the the it's not as hard of a sell to say you know this is where we need to spend we need to spend money on digital now we don't but yeah you're absolutely right the the circular is gone
2: how how important is it for you uh, on that point karen to build a relationship directly with the consumer i mean i mean obviously as a brand altogether a lot of brands they work to build community with their consumer turn their consumers into ambassadors and so forth uh as opposed to say the retailers taking that weight on um is that important to you? Is it necessary at this point, given the recognition of the brand? How does that, and if you do it, how how is it you view that that can drive sales for you?
0: So I think our connection and relationship with our end consumers is the most protected asset we have. And it's something we will, we have always done. There's a reset in the company. Again, when the company moved to Norwich, Vermont, like I said, it's about 30 years ago. And, we had a, we were basically the red five pound bag of flour. That's the business was largely focused there. And the things we did were start a catalog. It was pre-internet, a school at a bakery, because we wanted to teach people how to bake that purpose of inspiring people and educating people because our product is, it's a premium product. It performs, there's a consistency to it. It's a higher quality product. So we want people to have this incredible experience with it. Um, and we want to teach people how to bake. So teaching them how to bake, we'll go, they will then go pull it off shelf. And way back when, not that you want all this history, I'll just quickly comment on it because it's about the relationship with the end consumer. We were very much a New England company. And we still, I mean, our brand share, we're number one in New England and we still have lots of distribution and brand growth um, across the country, um, potential for that. We started that catalog so that people could go to their grocers and say, I want this product on, on the shelf and I can't get it here. And so it does, you know that it's a different kind of consumer pull now, um, of course. But I think now your relationship with your consumer matters is because, and again, like you, we could, uh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not a millennial, but I care who I shop with, and I think, and my parents care who they shop with, and millennials do, and they they tend to get, you know, that that attribute attributed to them, you know, kind of most often. But I think who you are as a company, who is behind the company, which is why I welcome the opportunity to always talk to folks about King Arthur. I think people want to know who you are, why you're in business and it matters. So that, so, cause in, in the world of social media, people can talk about anything, anytime, mm-hmm. anyhow.
1: Yeah. I yeah. want to yeah. applaud
2: that. That, that, that's a, that's a, that that's a, that's a statement and a half right there.
1: Yeah, no, it, it is. And, you know, I, I think unlike many other brands, I think even though you are in, what some would consider, could consider a commodity business, you've done an incredible job of really carving out that market for yourself and developing that kind of relationship with shoppers. And, you know, from my perspective, where I think retail is headed here, I I think you're incredibly well positioned because you can, you've got so many stories to tell. You can make the shopping experience much more experiential that I think is going to become increasingly important on the retail side, right? I, I think the days of utilitarian shopping are gone. If if I just need, you know, a bag of dog food and, and paper towels, I can order it online. It's at my door in two hours. I don't care. If you want me to go to a physical store and take my time and travel and so on, you've got to educate me. You've got to provide me an experience. There's got to be something there to make me do that. And, uh, I, I think you are wonderfully positioned to help retailers, you know, create that kind of environment.
0: I will thank you. And I agree with you. And I think it's a challenge. I think that we ha- we do have that opportunity. I think storytelling is so important. Um, and we do, we can bring the baking experience to, to our partners and, I, we, we have our, our board meeting is this week, as I mentioned to you. And so I was just talking with some folks about the retail experience. It has to be compelling. It has yes. to be enticing. And it's not that's not easy to do. I mean, you're one. We're again just beyond our category, but that whole center of store. Think about how it was thought of two, not even two years ago. Yeah. And so we've got an opportunity in front of us to 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 yeah to help bring just just more excitement and innovation to the space.
1: So inspiring. You know, the way people shop has absolutely changed, right? And it's not just millennials. You know, it's it's any age group today uh, tends to be much more interested in the specific products they're buying. Be it, you know, I want to know all the ingredients in that product. I want to know where it's made. I want to know how sustainable it is so on and so forth. And, you know, you see people doing this certainly online when they're home, but also in the middle of the aisle in the store, you know, on their smartphone, right? I want to know about this product. And boy, that really opens the door for a a company like King Arthur to provide that experience. And, you know, from my perspective, we see a lot of new tech, a lot of new innovation coming into the industry here. You know, I am watching uh, in particular the whole, uh, augmented reality smart glass space really closely because I think that is going to be incredibly transformative. You know, the fact that somebody can wear their Apple smart glasses, you know, within the, probably the next six months to a year, look at a product and it launches a, a, a video in the corner of their glasses providing. You know that background on where that product was made, or maybe it's a short baking lesson. Whatever it could be, that that stuff's tailor-made for a company like you,
0: right? Right. And and I think that the you the the key piece is that is that the consumer of many different ages is so much more comfortable and ready for that technolo- technology yes, shift, so um, which they couldn't have imagined a year ago. I know it's exciting.
2: Yeah, it is. So speaking of innovation, uh, kind of perfectly it's as if gary set me up uh mark that's what i'm here for thanks gary i thought i was here to set you up but that's great you know whoever's at the net who's ever the net can tip it up so karen uh what would you say is the most important innovation that is either on the table for for king arthur now or that you've most recently seen implemented, and it could be in the manufacturing process, it could be in the delivery process, it could be in the marketing end of things, it could be in any in any communication. You know, what do you think is the most innovative thing that King Arthur uh, has has done in recent memory that may may have had the most impact on the trajectory of the company?
0: Ooh, the trajectory of the company. So the you or know, profitability,
2: or profitability of the company?
0: You know, it's hard, and in, 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 sitting in the seat that I sit in, it's hard to pick one, right? Because <laughs> I think the trajectory and success of the company hinges on us working together, right? So you can't move forward with all kinds of great baking ideas if your supply chain and your commercialization team aren't able to get that product. And so... I think the most, but if, if I were to pick one, what I would say in terms of how we've been the most innovative and what we will take forward from, you know, let's just say March 2020 forward is the learning that we can move faster, smarter. And I was listening to, you know, we all listen to so many things now in our, whether it's commutes or podcasts or whatever. And so I don't want to take credit for it, but it really resonated with me was do less better. And I think we have real practical experience, and I think experience breeds confidence that we can do that. so we've got great innovation happening, we've got a supply chain that had to turn itself into a pretzel to get flour out there. Um, we've got a team of people, so the employees of this company, and I you know i I get to sit here and talk with you. I am humbled every day by that level of effort that 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 goes forth to service our customers big one. I'm talking about whether they're stores or whether it's the end baker. We've got, you know, both of those. And so collectively people have said, oh my gosh, we're King Arthur baking company. Now we even hesitated whether, you know, do you relaunch amidst this? And I think it's really wonderful, of course, that we did. Um, and we have so much potential. And so everybody has risen to that occasion. And so I think, it's innovating, it's really being innovative in how you approach your job, not just product innovation. Because oftentimes I think when you talk innovation, you think of products.
2: Would you say you're a two hundred and thirty year old startup?
0: <laughs> Did you see that? Yes. No. People have referred to us as that.
2: Really? No. Yes, I know. Yes, I that's great. Yes. It's, it's kind of because Earlier in our conversation, the dynamic between you and your co CEO reminded me a lot of startup co founders and the way that they they really use each other as sounding boards and as, as support mechanisms, if you will, and consig- consigliers and. If that's how you say it. And, uh, and and so forth, you know, so I, so you reminded me a lot of that. And then to hear you talk like this, it makes me think of. We do
0: think of ourselves that way and challenge ourselves to try to think like a startup. Because when you're, when you're, when you've been around as long as we have, and when we're in this business where you're, the the mills have been around for forever, it's, it can be thought of as sleepy. And Mm -hmm. there's so much happening in baking. And, you know, I think the world discovered sourdough in the past 12 months. And to us, that's (laughs) that's so exciting. And so there's all these pieces that are, you know, kind of working in our our favor. So we we have to be nimble and have to be creative and have to think like a star.
1: And I got to tell you, that is so refreshing to hear because I, you know, talk with, work with many companies across the retail industry, you know, from retailers, wholesalers, brand manufacturers, and so many of them, uh, you know, wake up every day and, oh God, what's coming at me next, you know, in this new world of innovation, so much change and technology and so on. And so many companies just want to bury their head in the sand or not want to deal with it. And yet, you know, from my perspective, it's this can be more exciting than any other time before, because there are so many uh, new innovations and technologies and ways to do things and ways to engage with shoppers and, and go to market and so on. So I, I really got to commend you. It's refreshing to hear someone.
0: The other th- and again, we're not doing it perfectly. Let me let me be clear. But I think the other thing that I would encourage folks to do. And when I have this platform like this, I like there's also it's really important that businesses knowledge share to the extent that they can. And so one of the things is we have some newer, we've we've had to hire amidst our growth, you know, so there's folks folks that have been here a long time, which is critical to our culture and wonderful. And we've had to bring in new folks because we needed kind of skill sets that you didn't have time to build. Connecting people with, you know, kind of, you know, whether it's supply chain partners, digital marketing partners, uh, packaging in other businesses that are facing similar challenges and sharing ideas, we've, I, I, something we've kind of done over time. And I just get so much out of working and talking with others, and just in, in other businesses. It's your, you try to be non-competitive because you don't want to get yourself into situations that you, where you don't want to share. But there's so much learning to be had. Particularly when you start yes. thinking about technology, and we, you know, when you're in the CPG space, we're not technology experts necessarily, but we got to get in there and learn what's going on and how it applies to us, because the customer will figure it out a lot faster than we. I mean, the end, the end consumer will figure it out yes. a lot faster than we will.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the big changes that's occurred over the last several years is, you know, historically, this has been a relatively slow-moving industry, and mm-hmm. nearly all the innovation has come from within at, at mm-hmm. a pretty slow space. But, you know, over the last several years, uh, the change and and, uh, and so on is being forced on the industry now by consumers, by shoppers, looking for, you know, new information Uh, you know, new products, whatever it may be. And and we all have to react to that.
2: That's a great note to uh, conclude this segment on and uh, coming up, we're going to, as much as I'd like to spend another hour or two talking about King Arthur Baking Company, we're going to spend a few minutes uh, talking about Karen as a human being right after this. Culture starts at the top, and great customer experience, the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The One Thing, customer experience from the top, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found. All right, Karen, this is where we get personal, get to the human side of the equation with questions a little more on the personal side. Uh, Gary, I'll lead by example here and give you time to formulate whatever question you may have. Uh, These are all off the cuff Uh, And I'd love to ask you, uh, Karen, looking back in your life, we talked about storytelling a little bit at one moment here and how important that is for a brand, how important it is for King Arthur Baking Company as well. Uh, And frankly, as a co-CEO, you're often having to do storytelling, whether it's with your board or whether it's uh, with your employees or whether it's out in the public. So looking back at your life, even as a little girl, what is the first story in your life you remember making a real impact on you that that really you have carried with you or or led you to make certain decisions or, or maybe just kind of create an emotional reaction for you that, as you look back in your memory?
0: So I'm going to go back to and it's not and again, it's not because I work for a baking company, but I worked for a bakery through in high school and college. And I worked in the front of the house, kind of, you know, the register and serving people half moon Mm -hmm. cookies and, and then also had the opportunity to work as an icer and rode my bike there at five in the morning and, um, for, you know, kind of for the summers and the person, the owner of the bakery, um, is who's now has since passed, has since passed away kind of sat me down before I was leaving at the end of my kind of high school time. And I came, as I said, I came back for summers during college for just for two, maybe just one. And um he sat down and I appreciated the, he sat down and t- and, t- and told, you know, kind of commended the work and the work ethic, which comes from my my parents for sure, um, and my grandparents, but recognized the effort and just took the time, didn't have to, but took the time to to tell me how much he appreciated the work that I did and talked about potential. And it's a conversation. I can still, as as I sit here today, see it. That meant a lot to me. Sorry, i emotional. Because, you know, I'm just this young kid and I'm g- kind of going off to college and I grew up in a small town and up to upstate New York. And I think that the, the recognition and the, and the naming of the, the recognition of the work was a confidence booster. And I think it's important to help people uh realize that the work they do is valued and so it's it's it stuck with me.
2: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that Karen. That yeah. was great. Yeah.
1: Gary? Okay. Uh so Karen have you always been involved in in the food industry or what were some of the other roles you've had over your career?
0: <laughs> no, you know I haven't. So I, let's jump from the bakery. Started at a paper route. We won't go back <laughs> to the paper route. Um, <laughs> but after college I worked for GE actually. Um hmm. and I think you know, I, I referenced that and then I went from GE to, to, to graduate to business school and then to the Gap, so the, the clothing company. Mm, wow. And um, I referenced GE a lot because, and you know, it's certainly not a stellar performer today out there if you're following the stock market or anything, but the training and the foundational work that I had as a person graduating from college in their financial management program it was invaluable. I don't, not that my kids listen to me. But you know that you getting some really good work experience is so important, and um anyway, so I not so to answer your question, no, not I loved okay. food, always passionate about food, wanted to get back to food, but that's not where i um that's not where I started,
1: hmm. so g e and then the gap you mentioned, so, yeah, so oh, wow. yeah,
0: so, and then i and I was at the gap for. I don't know, I guess nine years, but in merchandising, I okay. started there in financial planning, which was sort of the, you know, GE, finance, business school. Yeah. And I, you know, I was the first MBA student, I think that the, the Gap might've hired. And there was a little bit of, what do we do with this person? Um, but Gap is merchant run. And you, when you're a merchandiser at the Gap back in the day, and we're talking really a long time ago, um, you know, you were, you were a little general manager of your business. And that was what I really wanted to do. And so I I, I, I kind of made my way into a merchandising function and uh, I loved it. Oh, and, 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 and really enjoyed it. And again, was living out in San Francisco at the time. And, and uh, it was a, it was both, again, amazing work experience and a wonderful place to live.
1: Yeah, that, that's interesting. Free internet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of the responsibilities you think you ever see at King Arthur now is marketing you mentioned. So re- really interesting that, you know, you come from uh, originally a financial background that is not, maybe typically thought of as being the most creative, uh, role in the world into, you know, through merchandising and marketing that does require creativity. And, uh, you know, just when you talk about those things, you can almost see you light up talking about that. So obviously those things really, uh, uh, interest you. Yeah.
0: And, and I think, and I'm not, you know, I'm not our creative director. I'm, you know, I'm not a graphic designer, uh, and I have a and I have an incredible team of folks who are you know from truly, truly creative um, have a lot of opinions about it. and I think it comes from kind of uh, taking the general management approach and knowing what you want to do kind of with either in the baking space or with the business or wherever I was. So um, I bring that, I do, I do bring an analytical approach to a lot of what I do and, but I love all, I love all aspects.
1: Yeah. But I, I think being able to blend sort of that left brain, right brain is fascinating and makes, makes for great uh, executives, great people that, that can help lead this industry Um, and, you know, when I say creative, I'm not speaking of, you know, around specific colors or design or whatever, but more how you, how you view the world. Yeah. 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 How, how you view, uh, challenges, that type thing.
0: Yeah. No, the breadth of my, I think the breadth of my experience, I've been, I've been, yeah, fortunate to have a a variety of things and really, you know, and, and, have, have have gravitated to that variety and embraced it for sure.
2: Gary, it's not enough to have the flower and know how to get it. You have to know what you're going to do with it that matters. That's right. right? See what I did there? I circled it all? back, right back to. So, Karen, uh, what would be the best way to invite people to connect with either you directly or the brand, uh, particularly for retailers or, uh, you know, strategic partners or any other people you'd like to invite to engage with you or the brand?
0: Well, they certainly can engage with us on you know me and on, on LinkedIn. Uh, and, and I'm also obviously very open to people reaching out to me, you know, at kingarthurbaking.com, karen.kohlberg at kingarthurbaking.com. That is All right. either way.
2: I have to say, this has been one of my very favorite discussions we've had on this show. I mean that Karen. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. I wish we had so much more time together. Where are you located again? Physically? Norwich, Vermont. Norwich, Vermont. So is that where your primary manufacturing plant is up there too? We, it's one of ours. One of yours.
0: We're, we're in North. Yeah, we 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 have a manuf. It's a small. So it's, when you say when I hear primary, I think biggest. So like I said, our a lot of our a lot of our facilities okay. are contracted, but we do have a manufacturing facility here where we make most of our baking mixes, and it's That's so right cool. across the parking lot from me.
2: That is so cool. All right. Well, Karen Kohlberg, the co CEO of King Arthur Baking Company. What a pleasure! Thank you for joining us, and continued uh, great great luck with uh, the next chapter in a very long book very long story uh for king arthur baking company thank you very much and, and good luck thank you uh that's it for this episode of retail is your business i want to thank gary hawkins for being a stellar co-pilot sir <laughs> on this episode uh well done sir and thank you for joining yeah, great to be with you we appreciate you being along for the ride until next time i'm mark rako have a great day Bye
1: bye.
0: This has been Retail Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2020. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.